Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. I am just back from the Information Plus conference in Potsdam, Germany. Um, great time. I have more to write and say about that coming up, maybe in some future episodes. Uh, hopefully doing some, uh, getting some podcasts, uh, shows out about the conference. Great experience. But for today, uh, I have some special guests on the show um, to celebrate a new book that's actually available today. Today is the first day you can actually get the book in your hands. Um, so I'm happy to have one of the editors of this new book and one of the contributors. So Britt Russert uh, is with me and Silas Monroe. Uh, Britt is one of the editors of this new book, W.E.B. Du Bois' Data Portraits, Visualizing Black America. Britt edited this book with her co-editor, Whitney Battle-Baptiste, who was unable to make it today. Um, but also on the show, Silas Monroe, who's one of the contributors and the graphic designer uh, who worked on the book. So uh, I'm really excited to talk about this book, uh, some different data visualizations, and uh, looking all the way back to the late 19th century, early 20th century. Um, Britt, Silas, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, thanks for having us. Great. Glad to be here. I'm really excited to have you guys on. Congratulations on getting this book out today. It's great. Thanks so much. We're super excited about it. I bet. I bet. Why don't we start this way? Um, Britt, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and how the book came together, um, and then we'll then I'll uh, turn it over to Silas for a second. Okay, sure. So um, I teach in the Du Bois Department, the Du Bois Department of Afro American Studies at UMass Amherst. Um, I'm a scholar, I'm a literary scholar by training, and I also work in sort of Black critical theory, and I have interest in Black visual culture and visual studies, and. I recently wrote a book called Fugitive Science, which is thinking about um, sort of histories of um, antebellum resistance among Black antebellum activists, um, writers, and scientists who are sort of refuting scientific theories of race and especially scientific racism in the earlier part of the 19th century. Um, and when I was finishing up that project, I first saw these amazing um, images that Du Bois and his students at Atlanta University had put together um, for the Paris Exposition in 1900. Um, and in many ways, it seemed to be um, uh, sort of genealogy of what I call fugitive science in that book that sort of happens later in the century. And so I was really interested in the kind of activist work and the sociological work of those images. Um, and I was also just really blown away by them because, you know, they're produced in 1900, but they look like mo works of modernist art. And so I was really mm. curious to, to learn more about them. Um, Princeton Arch Architectural Press actually came to um, Whitney Battle Baptiste, who's the director of the Du Bois Center here at UMass Amherst, and they were interested in doing a, a design book about these images and showcasing these images. Um, and Whitney came to me, and I had already had interest in actually writing about them. I was really interested in talking a little bit about how this was not just a project. Um, it was not just a Du Bois project. It was a collaborative project done with a whole team of student um, and alumni researchers. And so since I already had an in interest in these images, it really was, it was serendipitous and kind of amazing that the press wanted to put together this collection. Yeah, um, it's great. And so there are four different chapters. So when you, Whitney, have an introduction, then there's two other chapters, and then maybe I will let Silas talk about his, his own. But do you want to talk about those, those other two chapters and what people can expect? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we really wanted this to be a, um, a multidisciplinary project um, that was sort of rooted in Black studies, but also drew from different disciplinary 
forms of expertise and knowledge bases be in part because it's a set of images and visualizations that sort of demands that kind of attention. Um, and so we were sort of interested in the fact that um, Du Bois was training a school of black sociologists in um, the U.S. South at the turn of the century, um, but they were also clearly using different kinds of ethnographic skills, interviewing skills, um, data design, visualization skills. They were using different kinds of tools and forms of expertise in order to produce these sociological studies about Black life at the turn of the century. Um, and so in part, I mean, we still have some questions, I think, of questions about art training, if in how these um, contributors to the images were um, were trained in art, but we really wanted to assemble a group of scholars who could take up these images from um, multiple disciplinary perspectives. So the introduction is written by um, myself. I work in, in Black studies and also in literary and cultural studies. Um, Whitney is trained as an, um, as an archaeologist and also works in Black studies. Um, and then uh, we have a chapter by Alden Morris, who's also in Black Studies and, and Sociology at Northwestern. Um, and he recently wrote an amazing book um, called The Scholar Denied, um, which is really puts Du Bois at the beginnings of the kind of methods and the history of American sociology and um, talks about how Du Bois founds the School of Black Sociology in the South at Atlanta University. So he has a sociological and historical sort of more take on the images. Then there's an essay by Mabel Wilson, who um, works in art history and also in African-American studies um, in um, at Columbia University. And so she's taking up some more formal and artistic questions related to the images. And then um, Silas was our um, designer for the project who did a really um, wonderful job giving us a sort of design intro for the images. And then he also provided all of the captions for the images. I was really excited just that I think I'm hoping that the the book shows different ways that we might approach and think about the visualizations themselves. But I, you know, we don't have a DH scholar. We don't have a data visualization scholar who actually worked on the images. So I'm also really curious to see now that the book's out to see how other scholars, including other design scholars and, um, you know, folks working in data visualization will take these up, these images up as well. Yeah, I think that's a, the, a great question, I, and, and we, we should definitely turn back to that. But before we do so, I want uh, to give Silas a, a second here. Silas, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, your background and, and your section and your work on this book. Sure. So I'm Silas Monroe. I am faculty at Otis College of Art and Design, where I teach graphic design to um, BFA students and also in our master's program. Uh, I run a design studio called Polymode, and I have cultural, academic, and business clients where I actually practice as a designer. A lot of my clients and a lot of the work that I do uh, tend to have some kind of social, cultural value or sort of like um, embracing a kind of diverse perspective. So when the opportunity came up, when Britt and Whitney approached me about writing about Du Bois's work for this project, I was super thrilled and, and ecstatic because for me as someone who's a both a design practitioner and um, interested in design history, to me, this work was a missing piece in the lineage of design history. And the work that he and his students did together, they predate a lot of iconic uh, avant-garde movements in design history, uh, including the Bauhaus, Russian constructivism, and de Stijl. And, and what's interesting about the global stage 
that these gouache uh, ink and watercolor designs were displayed on uh, in 1900, they actually could have influenced and, and and impacted the people that would start the Bauhaus 19 years later, which to me was like a total, my mind kind of exploded <laughs> pretty much when I, when I thought about, you know, a kind of reverse engineering about, you know, how uh, a black man, you know, living in the Southern Eastern United States um, could sort of um, generate forms uh, that might influence this European avant-garde that is sort of the backbone of what we think of as design aesthetics, both in Europe uh, and the U.S. And, and sort of globally now. Right. So, Can you paint a picture for us, as it were, of where these images appeared for the first time? So this is all in the, in the World Fair in Paris, but can you sort of set the stage for us of where this was and why these particular images and how they were displayed? So they were part of a um, study that Du Bois um, was uh, put together and was commissioned for um, the American Negro exhibit at the Paris Exposition in 1900. And a group of Black activists, including um, Thomas Calway, who organized the exhibit with the help of Booker T. Washington, um, petitioned the U.S. government for a kind of African-American exhibit to be displayed at the um, Paris Exposition as part of the sort of American component and contribution to that exposition. Um, and so Calloway went about sort of assembling um, an exhibit that really showcased um, Black progress that had been made in the decades since emancipation in 1863, and that really highlighted um, the kind of work of HBCUs, so the kind of work that was being done at historically Black colleges and universities across the South. Um, and so Du Bois was his old buddy from Fisk University, which they attended together as undergrads. Um, and Du Bois at that time was teaching at Atlanta University. Um, and so Du Bois and his students put together was basically a, a sociological exhibit. There were two um, aspects of it. One was sort of more focused on um, national statistics um, that thought about um, the impact of slavery and um, freedom on African-American populations at the turn of the 20th century. So it has this more national scope and it was also really embedded in thinking about the afterlives and legacies of slavery. And then the other um, part of the exhibit was a kind of a more regional case study that was called the, the Georgia Negro. Um, and that was really focused more on data and thinking about different aspects of, um, you know, sort of demographics and statistics and um, aspects of life for African African Americans in Georgia at the turn of the century. Um, so scholars have really focused on that exhibit. I mean, so far as there was photography that was included, there were a couple of um, albums that Du Bois also included in the exhibit, um, but there hasn't been as much work done on these amazing data visualizations, these infographics that were also a part of the sociological exhibit. Um, and so those images appeared um, in um, on the wall and as part of the American Negro exhibit, I mean, would have been viewed by um, you know, European audiences at the Paris Exposition, including some um, Black visitors in Europe during that time. It became a prize-winning exhibit. And so when Calloway and his group 
um, packed up and brought that exhibit back to the United States. It traveled to regional um, and other world's fairs back within the United States. And I think it was really significant um, that they had won a prize at the Paris Exposition. So that kind of like cosmopolitan and a sort of European validation really meant something when the exhibit was um, touring um, back in the Jim Crow um, context. So I think one of the really interesting things is that they were thinking about um, multiple audiences at once. I think when they were designing the images, some of the images have French, so they clearly were thinking about their European audience. I think they were thinking about European workers and how they might think about um, their relationship to um, Black workers in the U.S. But I think that they also had in mind the fact that African-American viewers back in the United States would possibly see these images as well. And so they, and they did. So a group of black club women in Buffalo, New York, um, actually petitioned and, and brought the American Negro exhibit, um, and, and it was showcased there at the um, during the Pan American um, Exposition in 1901. And so there were multiple audiences for the original images. And then after that, the images ended up in the collections of the Library of Congress. I don't want to go on for too long, but there's also some really interesting questions about what they've been doing there, who, if anyone has seen them since that time. And we do have in the Du Bois papers here um, an indication, a letter to Thomas Calloway from Du Bois that indicates that Du Bois wanted these images back. And so we can only speculate on why he wanted them back and what he planned to do with them. But the fact that the images still remain in the collection at the Library of Congress indicates that he actually didn't get his wish and he didn't get those images back. Mm, Right. So let's turn to the data visualization part itself. It's an obviously fascinating collection. A lot of people have written about it, not in a book form, but, you know, several blogs. And I'm curious about your thoughts about the visualization type. So a lot of these images in the book are not standard graphs, right? They are not the sort of things that we think about. They are not bar charts and simple maps and, and line charts. You've got instead the, the cover is uh, a circular or radial bar chart. I'll put the picture on the site, but most people will sort of be familiar with this where instead of the bars being strictly horizontal or vertical, they sort of wrap around a, a circle. And a lot of people today, a lot of people in the, in the data visualization field will say, well, that's you know, not a great chart type because it's hard to clearly see the patterns. And and there's lots of other, maybe one might even call them innovative graphic types. And I'm curious about your thoughts on how these visualizations, I guess, were built initially how they are different and maybe better than standard chart types or maybe not and and what Du Bois may have known uh, at the time while he was while he was creating these in terms of other work by Playfair and maybe some others that were thinking about how to visually communicate data. So maybe I'll start with Silas on that since we were talking about that before we started recording about um, your thoughts on where he came from and where you think he was sort of going with these. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there are a number of factors that contribute to the uniqueness of these diagrams. I think one of the factors is what Britt had already mentioned, that these were created as a collaboration between Du Bois and his students. And actually, our research found that there was one sociology alumni of Du Bois's William Andrew Rogers, who is probably the sort of point person for actually drawing and uh, gouaching and coloring and actually making the diagrams with other students um, in the program at Atlanta University. And so these were a group of um, 
really bright and thoughtful sociologists, but not trained as designers. Though Du Bois uh, was very well read and well traveled, had already been to Europe before, um, would be quite familiar with previous case studies of other statisticians or researchers who are making visual form, like you mentioned, William Playfair, the Scottish statistician who created uh, the pie chart. He would also likely be familiar with Florence Nightingale's work in her sort of rose diagram and someone who was using uh, graphic form to tell a story and enact social change uh, with her campaign for uh, healthcare uh, in England, uh, especially for soldiers. And so they, they were looking at other sort of forms of data visualization, but also the schedule was super compressed. Um, Callaway uh, and the other collaborators, including Booker T. Washington and Du Bois and his students, only had a few months to generate all this work. So I think part of some of this innovation, when you look at that one spiral chart, was like, how can we kind of get all this data and express it in a short period of time? So I think that hacking, you know, a, a, a bar chart into sort of a spiral was also about how does it fit uh, into this 22 by 28 inch frame of the diagrams. And one other thing that would add to what Britt was saying, these were designed to be displayed in a very interactive way. So they were hanging on these wing back frames that the viewers would um, get a chance to sort of turn and page through as a kind of early experience design. So I think the combination of sort of novice training in visual making and also uh, just a, a interest in, in exploring and experimenting required them to sort of do non-standard <laughs> forms of diagrams. Yeah. So the fact that Du Bois and his team were able to see some of the work that was going on, but they weren't inherently or trained as, as graphic designers, uh, even if there was graphic designing training at the time, or, or necessarily mathematical people, do you think that freed them up to be more innovative in the, in the graphs that they created? I think so. I think that they had a time crunch. I think that they were creative and generous. And, you know, they were looking at certain case studies, but knowing that this would be a global audience, I think they just had that combination of and, and this happens, I think, with the best design projects is when you're sort of under the gun of a deadline. And, mm. you know, they had an excellent uh, set of data sets. And you can actually even see, as you look at the plates, oftentimes there were, um, you can see sort of their pencil work underneath mm -hmm. the gouache where they were making attempts at things. And in addition to the 63 final diagrams, there are also a series of charts uh, showing their data and also like lettering sketches and in-progress attempts on the backs of some mm -hmm. of these prints. Yeah, one of my favorite huh. things is is how you can, the more you look at the images, the more you start to see more hands at work. You know, you see like mm. different hand forms of handwriting and different pencil markings. And so in terms of the collaborative nature of the design, I'd like to, I think it's interesting to think about how the collaboration itself potentially um, produce novel forms of data visualization 
And I also think, you know, it's important to note that they were getting training in math and also, you know, sociological methods at Atlanta University. And that's one of the most powerful arguments about Alden Morris's book is that um, Du Bois was sort of pioneering an empirically based, statistically based method for sociology at a time when what passed as social science was really a set of racial and other forms of biases. Um, and so mm. we think about, you know, statistics and its sort of rootedness in forms of eugenics and other forms of social science that were really using science in order to um, kind of reproduce racist and classist and sexist ideas was that Du Bois and his team were were producing data and, and um, producing a kind of black data in opposition to um, forms of um, science and social science that actually weren't rooted in empirical work. Um, and I think that's really crucial in terms of the thinking about these these images and their relationships to science and social science. But I also think the spirals are really interesting because I think that they were attempting to make and intervene into um, sort of debates about race and intelligence and capacity and these kinds of things. But I think they also were trying to capture the real irrationality of the Jim Crow system and the kind of surrealness of Black life during this period. Um, and so for me, I, I think those artistic flourishes, when you see those those the spirals and, and those kinds of motifs, for me, are about capturing um, the kind of irrational dimensions of American life and policy and law during this period. Mm. That was really interesting. So I want to close up with two questions, one for each of you. And I want to jump off this this topic that you just uh, talked about, Britt. So let me follow up where you're going. What was the impact of these images and this work, I think, more generally on uh, American society and American culture at the time, and maybe even American study of sociology uh, in, in the university system at the time? What was, a, what was a sort of broader impact that these had across the country? Um, should I start? And um, so, I mean, I, yeah. I guess. Well, I'm curious to hear what Silas thinks. What do you think, Silas? <laughs> sort of. Uh, that's a good question. Um, like, I know what the impact of them is now. Yeah. But um, right. you know, it's funny because I think in some ways, and Alden Morris talks about this, like. Du Bois's legacy, both as a sociologist and researcher, I think has been sort of underplayed and erased mm -hmm. um, for many years in the larger discourse of his impact. Obviously, he was so multi-talented and impactful, you know, through his work in the NAACP, his, his other kind of writing and publishing. But I, I think as the sociologist, and even this work is sort of a data visualization, uh, uh, person um, has been pretty much ignored in certain academic circles. Um, I, I do know that the pieces themselves were wildly popular, both in Europe and uh, domestically when they came back. And a lot of people would have seen them and, and, and they made a big impact, especially I think in uh, African-American circles, because a lot of the, the sites and venues uh, that were seen domestically were historically black colleges. Um, but I wonder, especially as someone who's like been trained in design history and visual culture, like 
this was just not discussed at all mm. anywhere in design history. And I think the when they got digitized by the Library of Congress and were seen publicly in the digital world, they caught fire because they were so relevant in terms of their visuality, but also the kinds of issues of equality and, and, and balance. And, and there's actually even, Britt, I think you're kind of getting a sort of poetic quality to some of these diagrams. Like I look at the the one chart that's the assessed valuation of all taxable property owned by Georgia Negroes, where it has these um, wedges, these triangles in these series of concentric circles. He really is kind of like making this argument of kind of like piercing and debunking some of these myths around the lack of equality of Black people uh, to other Americans and other global citizens, both through the data and also through the form. Yeah. And, you know, there's also some of the images that are, they kind of had this, there's, they're actually multimedia. So there's one that incorporates photographs, which, and there's this kind of collaging element. So I think the ways that they kind of look forward to um, later forms of, you know, I don't know, like forms of black art making and other forms of art making is really interesting. I mean, I guess I would say we don't yet know the influences of these, the influence of these images because they have been um, uh, pretty, uh, they haven't been widely viewed since their original um, kind of display in the early part of the century. Um, so, I mean, I think there is more work to be done in terms of those these individual researchers. Um, mm-hmm. So there are these Atlanta University studies that, that have been published and there's republications of those. And I think there's more work to be done to think about Du Bois's network of field researchers, which included um, alumni from Atlanta University who were in Atlanta University, but were also spread out across the U.S. South. And I would be curious to know and to learn more about um, forms of design and other forms of visualization that, that may have been a part of their sociological and other forms of work. Many of these people went on to be teachers. So I think there's a question of the use of Black data and Black design um, within Black classrooms throughout the 20th century mm. that I would want to know more about. But I also think, you know, we were really interested in doing this project because um, since they haven't been, you know, they've been sort of in, in the in the archive and not really widely available since um, the early part of the century, I think that there's possibilities for their influence today in terms of educational use, um, insp- inspiring forms of art making, the kind of movement um, around, um, you know, data for Black lives and to think about um, other forms of production of data that's oriented towards emancipation projects rather than the sur- surveilling and policing of Black communities. I really love thinking about, I mean, one of the things about Du Bois, right, is that he did so many things and we think of him wearing so many hats, um, but we really have not thought of him yet in a design context, right? We yeah, don't usually right, think of him um, as being a designer. Silas has this amazing moment in his intro where he talks about Du Bois as the leader of a design team in, in the South during this period, which I just think is really important and interesting. And I would also add, you know, it's really important to think about then Du Bois as a curator of this work. So he had to basically cobble together the funds in order to travel to Paris. And he clearly had ideas about how this work should be installed and how it should look visually. So I think maybe there's even something to be done and to think more about um, Du Bois as as a curator. Um, uh, oh, 
Okay, yeah. so th- I think there's and- more to be to say about Du Bois as a curator, um, and I, you know, I would love to see um, uh, this work taken up then in multiple different places today. So that's to say that I really, I think it's really great that even though there were these decades in which these images were kind of lost and not seen, that I think I'm hoping that they can they can take on a new life today. Yeah, that is that is really interesting. Um, my last question, I want to flip this around a little bit. We've talked a lot about the production of these, of uh, Du Bois and his teams. And now I'm curious about what you think about how um, the public uh, viewed them or understood them, uh, especially at the time. I mean, now we're surrounded by data and graphs all the time. And there's obviously sort of a burgeoning data visualization field and there's research going on. And I'm curious what you might, what you think about how people who were viewing these at the time may have thought about them and, and the messages they may have taken away from them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, it's a, I think that's a really um, great question. Um, I think that this is where um the kind of context of the world's fairs really matters. So the the Paris Exposition was one of these, you know, turn of the century expositions that was about um, sort of displaying the powers of industrialization and the sort of um, uh, really kind of touting um, the sort of modernity of global imperial powers. Um, and so it was really a, um, a, a fair that was about the projection of Western progress. Um, And so I think it's really important to think about how these images were participating in, but also challenging those discourses. Um, And so, for example, the fact that these images were insisting on um, sort of the, the legacies and the histories of slavery as they had shaped um, uh, the kind of shaped the U.S. itself, I think really was a, a, a critique of the idea of America as the civilized and civilizing nation. Um, so I think that that was really important in terms of what they were showcasing through the images. Um, and one of my favorite things about the kind of modernist design of the images and this kind of looking forward to a kind of European avant-garde um, is that I think that Partly the images were constructed to look so modern and clean and almost like machinic, even though they were hand drawn, is I think that the the contributors to the images wanted to make a place, wanted to showcase black cosmopolitanism, wanted to say something about black modernity, specifically in the South. I think they were making an argument about Atlanta as a kind of black Mecca in a place of like black industrialization and progress. But they were also making a claim to kind of modernity, while at the same time making a huge critique of the U.S. as a supposedly Mm. civilized place. Because in the United States at the time, this was a it was actually a backward looking regime, right? It was the Jim. It was the age of segregation, and so I think there is through the images themselves. I think they were trying to convey um, their kind of status as a kind of nation within a nation, as a black nation within a nation that was at pace with the European superpowers, but but that the United States itself was actually non-modern and was actually a barbaric nation. It was not actually an industrializing and forward-looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one other thing that's unique about 
just this display showing data was if you look at other the other exhibits that were happening at the World's Fair and sort of the history of sociology was more about creating these dioramas that would have kind of like, you know, stuff representations or things that were kind of object studies to uh, present evidence. Whereas this was sort of saying, oh, information can be a kind of communication. And so I think mm-hmm. these are the first time where you are really seeing like data visualization showing up in a way that could make an argument. And then it was compelling because of the whole uh, gold prize winning aspect of the exhibit. And it's really interesting that the American Negro square footage wise in the Palace of Social Economy was relatively small compared to the other exhibits, but its density, its complexity, you know, between the diagrams, the other artifacts in the space, like I really do think that Du Bois and his team and his collaborators were thinking about it like an, a, a bit of an experience design and, and, and right. using this data as a way to have a kind of fresh perspective on all these issues of racism, of a sort of a backwards uh, perspective that the U.S. was starting to come out of. And I right. think they also were just like constantly reminding viewers um, that 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 America's that the that the United States's industrial progress happened through the labor of enslaved people and nominally mm. so there's all of right. these like images that there are these huge you know kind of like black blocks of color um, and so the continual reference back to slavery that that it is slavery that makes industrialization happen um, that I think that they that they really were powerfully um, sort of conveying, visually um and that was a it was a huge intervention within the kind of broader um sort of logic and focus of the of um kind of progress industrialization and freedom within the fair itself right wow well that i mean that uh is is probably the uh most historical perspective i've had on the show about data visualization well, Britt and Silas, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. It's um, It was great to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure, John. And thanks, everyone, for listening. So the new book, W.E. Du Bois, Data Portraits, Visualizing Black America, is available today. So you can go run out and get it right now. It can be in your hands. Uh, so please do go grab it. I'll put a link to it, of course, uh, on the show notes page. If you have any questions, please uh, do get in touch. Uh, let me know if you have any questions or Reach out to Britt or Silas or any of the authors. I'm sure they'd be happy to talk uh, more about the work that went into uh, this book. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. A little bit more of a historical context of data visualization. Uh, always an interesting topic. Um, so thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, this has been the Policy of This Podcast. <laughs>